0: I'm Emma G. Rose. I'm Shell Shearer. We're indie authors. And this is Indie Book Talk. Hello and welcome back to Indie Book Talk. Today, I still am without Shelley. Sad. But we will talk to her when she gets back about her amazing trip. I think she's going to at least pretend that she's doing some sort of research for some sort of book. We'll see. We'll see. We'll ask her. But in the meantime, I have two amazing guests with me today. I have Michael Kilman and Kira Wellstrom, and they are the authors of, deep breath, Build Better Worlds, An Introduction to Anthropology for Game Designers, Fiction Writers, and Filmmakers. (sighs) Okay, I did it. Uh, (laughs) I'm super excited to talk to both of you today because world building is, well, foundational to the work we do as authors. So welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. First question is, buried in that beautiful title is An Introduction to Anthropology. Do you have a background in anthropology, or did you just decide that that was a cool word to put in your book title?
1: No, we both actually teach anthropology and have degrees in it.
0: So basically, this is like a textbook, but way more fun.
2: Yeah. and In fact, it, we, it kind of started out as a textbook idea, sort of. We use it in some of our classes. So like I'm teaching next January, I'll be teaching a class on anthropology through science fiction. And part of their assignment will be to use the world building book to use real social science. And, and that was really our initial goal is both of us are big nerds in various ways and books and gaming and various other things and, and filmmaking. And both of us have been like, you know, watching things and be like, that's just really terrible world building or that culture like doesn't make any sense or that economic system is a little wonky. So and because we're both social scientists and we've both done like research and things and we know what it's like to to actually study what culture is and what it means and how it operates. And so we both kind of just were like sitting around one day and I was telling her about it. And then we were both like, well, what if we wrote a book on this topic? And then what if we did something for our classroom? So our initial kind of version was a textbook solely. And we realized pretty quickly that it's probably even more useful for the general public, for, for creators, who are, are looking to understand cultural systems. And so we approach it more from an anthropological side. Here is a whole bunch of social science stuff. And while we do like cater to creating for fictional worlds, it's more a book about teaching people core elements of anthropology so that as they're building their their fictional world, they'll have like a reference guide. We have chapters on many topics. So if, oh, I'm trying to build an authentic political system what are things I have to consider? Well there's a chapter for that, right? Or I'm trying to understand violence and war or I'm trying to understand genetics or because some fictional worlds want to use genetics or want to use fossil records, we also included that kind of stuff. So or how do people how do people uh, perceive health across cultures because it's it's very different in different places. And the other reasoning behind this uh, writing this book was to get us out of this kind of European essentialized framework. And it's not necessarily that European cultures are good or bad, like no culture is inherently good or evil or anything like that, but that so many of our, so much of our storytelling is, is focused on Eurocentric approaches, like how many fantasy novels are set in like 16th, 17th century Europe, right? Let's get yeah. some variety out there. And you can only really do that if you understand how cultural systems work. So that was our project getting people to understand how cultural systems work so that their fictional worlds were better.
0: Awesome. My my tiny recent insight into this was I was reading actually a business paper that was talking about a toy manufacturer that wanted to m- become bigger in the Chinese market. And the problem was they were approaching that that selling from a eurocentric viewpoint and were assuming that that fun and and play were central to children's worlds in China, which, spoiler alert, it's not. They very much view childhood, or at least this study said that they very much viewed childhood as preparation for adulthood. And so toys had to be educational in order for them to sell in that market. And so, like, it's such a tiny thing, but it's an assumed thing, something you just you don't even think about from if you're like seeped in your own worldview. So I love that you are doing this. Tell me, is there, we talked sort of about the, the impetus for the book, but was there anything really specific that you were like, oh, we have to get that in there because I see this problem all the time.
1: <laughs> I know Michael was really intent on putting the fact that lizards don't have boobs in there because like you see what? Characters, in, like, characters in like D&D and World of Warcraft and all these like you know, model—they're like reptilian models, but they've got these these big mammalian breasts. And I don't, I don't think we actually got that into this one, but we can absolutely put that in the. We're we're thinking of a second edition, so we can absolutely put that in there.
2: <laughs> well, it, it was—it's more of like if we're going to build genetic systems, let's be realistic here. Like, if you are a cold-blooded egg-laying creature, there's no reason for you to have breasts. And and it was just really a, my way of like making a joke about how we over-sexualize everything um, (laughs) that doesn't need to be overly sexualized, right? So, so,
1: yeah. yeah. animals that don't produce milk don't need mammary glands, so, yeah. Right. And you see kind of these same tropes kind of popping up again and again and again, and like Michael said, just cut, like, cookie-cutter copying the same kind of European myths you saw in Tolkien's work, and wanting really Mm -hmm. to, like, hey, you could do something new. You could build something new. You could change up the framework a lot. So really just wanting more variety, I think. And,
2: and look, it's like, it is, I understand the desire to do it and I love Dungeons and Dragons and all that other stuff. But like every other fantasy author uses a modified D&D system for their magic or their mm. characters or their races. And it's honestly just lazy. Like I'm glad that you like again. I'm not saying to not do it. I'm just saying like, let's try something different. Let's let's consider you know uh, authors who have played with really unique magic systems, like Brent Weeks, for example, where color is at the core of everything, or Mistborn with Brandon Sanderson, or, or give us some some interesting dynamics rather than hanging spells or magic missile over and over again. Those kinds of things, right? And you see the same thing also, and this was another thing that was important to me, was not essentializing entire cultures or races. Like not saying, understanding that people are people no matter where you go, and no matter what their cultural system, everyone, there's always people in the culture who reject those ideas, right? So, so the, the Chinese toy example, great, great thing, right? Maybe that, you know, you have to consider cultural elements, but there are going to be parents in China who do not follow that rule, who are very much caring about, you know, play and education isn't necessarily a priority. And that's it's really a lot of what the book is like. Take a look at around at the world and all the complexity. How can we understand the complexity of the world and then mirror that in our fiction?
0: So there's a, you know, the big topic that I think a lot of people there There's a race topic happening right now, and there's also a gender topic. so how did you cover gender and different understandings of gender?
2: Kira wrote it first of all since, since you know I, I mean of course uh, our process was we would write the chapter and then the other person would review it so we both have our hands in every chapter to some degree, but I told Kira I said I'm the white male, so you better write the gender chapter
0: <laughs> okay, so Kira, tell me uh, how did you how did you? explore that somewhat thorny topic in your book.
1: I, so I, I've been teaching for a lot of years and it's actually, it's gotten a lot easier to teach gender. Like people's understanding of it has gotten a lot better and more complex. So I kind of used like what I've learned through teaching for years and years and it's to approach it. Like basically we approach it anthropologically, just like we approach any other thing. So I talk about gender is a system just like anything else, just like religions are a system or like politics are a system. And so I talk about kind of the functionality of gender and like how it's constructed traditionally. And then we kind of move into that kind of more nuanced area of like individual gender perception and gender performance and things like that. Cause that's really like the idea that you can kind of create your own gender is really fairly new in the world. Like, Mm -hmm. A lot, well, all cultures have some traditional genders and it can be anywhere from like two genders to five genders and they all have kind of varying different roles. But the idea that kind of you can make your own is new. And I think that's, I think it's really cool. We talk actually about like how the culture has changed to allow you to do that. So we kind of, we start with like the building blocks of the topic and then get up into the kind of more complex levels of it.
0: Now, do I have to have, you know, a college degree or a master's degree or something to be able to read this book? What level are you writing to
1: in this? Oh, definitely not. We we wrote this with like general public in mind and actually when we were making the the commercial copy we would always send them to each other because like my specialty is more in like biology and michael's is more in culture so we would send them to each other and like this is too specific like you really need to tone this down nobody know, is going to know what this is or like just explain this before you move on because it is really easy when you're writing from an academic standpoint to get like stuck in the jargon and stuck in what you know, but mm-hmm. we, we really specifically wanted it not to be an academic book, at least not the the version that we've got on like Amazon.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and we, we initially did, you know, a college textbook and then we did a second, like as Kira was saying a second version where the opposite person who had written the chapter re-edited it for Really like 10th grade level is what we had tried to approach. How can anyone read and understand these things? It doesn't mean they'll agree with anything. And in some cases, they're going like reading and studying anthropology in general is going to challenge your ideas about the world. Mm-hmm. Because so much that we take for granted are assumptions about how the world works. And that was one of the things we also really wanted to do is help people understand like no your culture and your way of experiencing is only one of many well organized well thought out systems that people have and and so much of our conflict in the world and and rightfully so like conflict in fiction includes the fact that we just make different assumptions about things. And that's mm-hmm. not even just across cultures, that's in subcultures, that's across different ethnicities, the different religions, different genders. And so what we a lot a lot of what we tried to do was here are the here are the systems as as gender, you know, with gender, and here are the different varieties and then we include some examples from other cultures such as like the Guévedoches. Uh, the Guévedoches are a group in the Dominican Republic that are intersexed. Essentially, they have a, a genetic difference where they're not either male or female. Technically, birth they appear to be they appear to be female, but it's because the testosterone that produces essentially the penis and testicles is suppressed during initial utero, but then it's not during puberty. So at age twelve, they become fully male, and so. And so they're a very interesting group. And then of course there's a cultural system that surrounds that biological that biological experience as well.
0: That is so I feel like I could just like flip open two random pages of your book and say, okay, this group of people and this group of people, I'm gonna smash them together and see what happens. And now I have a conflict for a story.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, because obviously, yeah, that's the point, right? Right <laughs> there.
1: Oh yeah. I was going to say my, my students really enjoy, I, I build my classes. They, they have like every week a, a question and they're, they're building a fictional world by the end of it. And they have to turn in a story at the end. And they love those various examples and they love, yeah, like picking out particularly for like conflict. Like they really, uh, this semester, they were very focused on colonialism and like post-colonialism yeah. and that conflict. So yeah, like seeing these different examples and seeing how these systems work there, I think it's fun for them to like Kind of play toy soldiers really and yeah. see how the different groups interact in theory yeah a lot
2: a lot of the book is like here's a thought experiment try it out like see how it works and and can you build the holistic world a world that makes sense you know because yeah. we in the united states in particular but more europe more generally have this idea that you can just swap cultural elements so you can just like suddenly change your religion. And that doesn't, it's not going to influence the rest of your life, but that's not how it works. If you change one thing about your identity, it ripples out into all parts of your identity. And similarly, if you change one thing about a culture, it ripples out to all things in the culture. And it's, it's why things like missionization have been extraordinarily destructive to cultures because It forces them to eliminate their language and their assumptions and their deal with their resources differently and or how they even view what does it mean to be an individual, because the individual is not a priority in all cultures Uh, In many cultures, in fact it's not a priority. The individual is nothing compared to the community. Of, of course, that invokes this idea of like communism versus capitalism, but we're, we're talking about a much simpler level here. Like just small scale societies tend to think that individuals are not that important as much because the survival of the entire group depends on community. So we, of course, specifically in the United States, but also again in Europe are very hyper individualistic. And so mm-hmm. And and so we can't just use those assumptions to say that necessarily one is good or bad, like if it's better to be more community focused or more individual focused, but they do produce different cultural outcomes. So this book is a way of approaching what will the cultural outcomes be if I change these elements of the system in my fictional world too.
0: That's so important. To in terms of adding dimension to a story. I feel like sometimes it is, the setting is as much a character in your story. You know, it's, it's as important, but you can't just slap any old setting. You can't just say, okay, now they're, now it's, you know, the 1500s in the mountains, and it's going to be the same as a coastal community in 2022, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And we have a concept in anthropology called agency, and people tend to just lump it in with the concept of choice, but it's not just choice. Agency is your ability to make choices within your given cultural system. So it's like you have to, and we have a chapter that about building com- characters called the three C's, which are a context. What is the culture and historical context? The conditions, what are the conditions of the character's life within that cultural system? And then you can understand their choices. So so we, we try to give people a little bit of a roadmap if they're going to be building characters in a fictional world, like what what area of this world did they come from? What, what was it like growing up for them? That's going to Im- impact their choices just as it would a real living, breathing person.
0: So speaking of living, breathing people and choices, I'm wondering about the choices that brought you here. So I understand that you both teach. Are you also writers outside of the academic space or is this your first foray into non-academic writing
2: I have a couple of short stories and four sci-fi novels published before this was released and I'm working on some other stuff as well so and I'm just like science fiction is one of like my areas of like deep love so i mean i i've i've taught a couple times anthropology through science fiction where we look at the history and rise of science fiction what were the influences like where does it begin like all the way back all the way back to ancient greece and then how it changes all throughout you know all the way up to the 20th century where we really get like the modern version of sci-fi so i've spent a lot of time really studying like you know the theory of, of of that kind of stuff and then my graduate research is really about storytelling. It's really about, it's about media systems, but how do people tell tell stories and how does that influence cultural systems and individual lives? So I, I worked with a theater troupe that told community-driven stories to kind of push back against all the narratives and stereotypes you see in 24-hour news media and how they use kind of a theater stage with community members instead of actors to also rally community together to address concerns and issues. And so for me, I've done a lot of writing, a lot of investigation What storytelling is. Kira said, my area arena is more the cultural and language side of anthropology. Uh, Anthropology actually has four distinct subfields, which is cultural anthropology, archeology, span which people tend to lump that as its own thing, but it's a subfield of anthropology, linguistics, and then biological. And, and Kira is is biological in particular forensics. So so she knows a lot of stuff about bodies and decay and, and bones <laughs> and things that I don't. And it's it was super helpful to kind of join forces for us because we really did fill in the gaps in our knowledge for each other. And of course, we both teach anthropology classes of, of various types. So it's not as if we didn't know you know, a lot of this stuff to begin with, but it is when you have someone who is more expertise is in a different area, it's complemented very well. So
0: I really like the sentence Kira is biological.
1: Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a robot. I swear. Okay, good. (laughs) Aside from being biological. um, Do
0: you have have you done any writing outside of the academic space, Kira?
1: I guess I'm sort of an aspiring writer. Like I've written for a long time, but I haven't published anything. I'm hoping to change that in the the fairly near future. But I've always been really, really into like sci-fi and fantasy. And I remember when I was, I think I must have been like 10 or 11, maybe I got, I was like, couldn't find the book that I wanted to read. Like I read 25 books and I'm like, none of these have what I want. So I would like write actually quite a bit I'm like my my old documents were weighty when they when they got printed out but yeah I would like love to I'd love to build worlds and like add elements of different things and I've always been super interested in particularly like archaeology in the past and then kind of through that got into biological anthropology so yeah not Definitely not as much work as Michael, like not as much published work as Michael, but hopefully that'll change. (laughs) That's okay. It's not a competition. It's
0: just an expression of what we've got inside us. So as we come to the end of our podcast, first of all, one question that I didn't ask you, which is where do you actually teach?
1: I teach at Front Range Community College in Denver or in Westminster, I guess. And occasionally I'll teach at Community College of Denver.
2: So I'm actually moving out of teaching at this point and into another field called instructional design, which is I create educational content Mm -hmm. for people, but I still do teach occasional classes. I taught at CU Denver for eight years and Metro State University of Denver for eight years. And then I will be occasionally teaching at Portland State here and there, and maybe a few classes here or there at CU. I'm not sure yet, but.
0: I'm moving away from teaching but
2: not really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's
0: just,
2: it, it's hard because after the, after the pandemic, the, the, the system in the universities is just a giant mess. Enrollment is down and there's just not as many yeah. classes to go around. And it, it's been, it's been a real struggle for both of us with like getting like, cause we're paid by the class, unless you're mm-hmm. like a tenured track professor. And those are really pretty rare these days. You're paid by the class. So we, So we have to kind of like make do and have second jobs and stuff. And so it interferes with writing quite a bit.
0: (laughs) So everybody go by Build Better Worlds so that Michael and Kira uh, can have more time for writing. Not that we want to take you away from the amazing work you're doing in the classroom, but I I want to see more writing. Do you have a website for the book or anything like that where people can follow what you're up to? Social media, any of those things?
2: Yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff just goes through my own website and that's lyridianslaboratory.com. And that's where we house a lot of things. Kira also helps me sometimes with my YouTube series on anthropology. She helps script some of the episodes. So especially the biological stuff. So we're up on YouTube. There's, we have a, uh, there's a show anthropology and Tenor less is another great space. Of course we, the book is available on pretty much every major service. So, you know, it's on Amazon, Kobo, Apple, all the all the Barnes and Noble, all the big places you can get uh, digital copies. The paperbacks are available through Amazon only at the moment. So, and we're working on an audiobook, although we're just yeah. really in the early stages of it because there's been requests for an audio version to make it more accessible to people, which is a very legitimate concern, of course. It's just a matter of having the time to do it. So, yeah.
0: Audiobooks are a big lift.
2: And Kira will be reading the audiobook. So
0: Ooh, I will. Yes. Okay, so everyone go to LaridiansLaboratory.com. Don't worry, I will put it in the comments so that uh, you know how to spell it. And what was the name of that YouTube channel that you guys are on?
2: Anthropology in 10 or less
0: anthropology and tenor less learn all the things about anthrop- anthropology write the most amazing sci-fi slash fantasy slash whatever you want story and then be on the show see it's a circle it's it's great <laughs> uh, thank you michael and kira i appreciate you taking the time to teach us about such an interesting topic and i'm gonna go buy the book now thank you for
2: having Excellent. us thank on. you so
1: much for having us